welcome to another exciting episode of Talkin' Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. This is episode 26. So, do you know what that means? No. We're halfway to a year. Wow. Yeah. We've done it for six months every week since since the since October. It's crazy. I can't believe that uh, <laughs> it's been going on for so long. <laughs> I mean, I look at the list of episodes and it's uh, it's ever growing. Have we done one? I thought we skipped a week somewhere. We skipped one week in October while we were shooting like nowhere. Okay. And that was the only week that we skipped. But we still had four episodes for that month somehow, right? Um, no, we only had three episodes for oh, okay. October. But, you know, it was our first month. We were still getting, yeah. you know. So, I mean, at, at, at least we've had 26, we have 26 episodes. So, like, that's enough episodes to fill six months worth of of the show so that's that's pretty good you know and um i'm 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 still having fun with it yeah yeah i mean it's something to do yeah it is something to do <laughs> it's a good excuse to watch movies that we just wouldn't have watched otherwise like Frankenstein Unbound, for instance. Well, I mean, I had it. Yeah, so anyway, you, you probably would have ended up watching. I bought Frankenstein Unbound for four ninety nine at Cumbies. Wow! Like over a month ago, and it, it's the last DVD that I bought. I'm holding off on buying movies for a while. Mm. Uh, it's like the longest I've ever gone without buying a movie. <laughs> I think. Are maybe. you like, like itching to get your fix? Oh my god! I'm so tempted to just like. I'm afraid to even just go on Amazon to see what's coming out or anything because yeah, I yeah. just, but I mean, I, I still, it's not like I've already watched all the movies that I already have. So right. yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same position. It's, it is tempting to want to just keep amassing mm. your collection. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that I own that I haven't watched, but anyway, so yeah, we'll keep on digging through our <laughs> our collections and pulling them out for the show. I've enjoyed this because usually when I watch movies, I'll watch movies that I, I don't know anybody else who's seen the movie. Hmm. Or if I do, it's not somebody I want to talk to about it. So I like like watching with you and talking to you about them. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just in my head, just talking to myself about them. Yeah, totally. It's a good it's a good outlet to uh you know, actually vocalize and like dissect. And it's funny as as you talk about it, like you so you realize things about it that you wouldn't have thought about yeah. before, you know. Yeah, like once you're in like a dialogue with somebody about it, you just like you're like, "Oh, they open things like up this, and, and it's like this and it yeah. like yeah, it's uh it's definitely deepened my appreciation for um just the experience of watching movies and talking about them. Mm. So, here's to another six months, and hopefully, we can make that year mark. Huzzah! <laughs> um, but before we go on to the movie of the of the day, um, which we should say was, uh, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. <laughs> there was a bit of uh, sad news yesterday. Um, yes, yesterday. 
to us to being us. Yes. Uh, April 6th. Mickey Rooney died. Yeah. And we had just briefly talked about him a little bit. Yeah, in, uh, in the, two episodes ago. Yeah, and when we were talking about the Muppets. He, he, he had a cameo in um, the 2011 Muppets. Yeah. So, um, you know, like we've talked about in the past when, you know, like Shirley Temple and who else? <laughs> I just, you just, your face just died. It just went completely. <laughs> <clears throat> well, as we talked about. <laughs> Why can't I think of anyone right now? There were so many people. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. But I'm thinking like, you know, oh, okay. the people who are um, <clears throat> old old in age yeah you know when they die it's like oh okay yeah it's sad but it's not necessarily unexpected he was 93 he was 93 years old i mean it has to happen sometime but still it just would have been nice if he'd gotten like a comeback a little bit of a comeback like he's not somebody who people have the proper respect for Mm. and a lot of that is on him he's not somebody who was ever like no i won't do that movie it was pretty much oh you're offering me a movie i'm in right so there's a he's you know (laughs) um and a lot of people now when they think of him they might think of like the the horrible character he played in breakfast at tiffany's yeah which to be honest that's probably the biggest movie that i've seen him in or his biggest role in a movie yeah as far as i know um and it's not even a big role in that movie and really it didn't need to be in the movie that character that could have just been like cut out and but you got to inject some comedy uh, into it (laughs) but i'm not a huge fan of that movie overall anyway i know a lot of people are um but um, i mean yeah that, that whole character was terribly misguided um, yeah, and like, growing up, I was mostly familiar with him for all of his, like, TV work. Like, he was Santa in Year Without a Santa Claus, and, um, like, he popped up on The Simpsons playing himself when they were making the Radioactive Man movie, and, um, which I, I quoted that episode a couple episodes ago when we were talking about The Muppets. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, so, like, growing up, I basically knew, like, old Mickey Rooney. Well, like, new, like, elderly Mickey Rooney, right, as right. opposed to his, like, older roles. And then, like, later on, you know, I started to watch some stuff, like, I think the most recent film I watched that he was in was Boys Town from 1938. It was nominated for Best Picture, which is one of the reasons I watched it. Um, I didn't expect it to be very good, because... It's known for being, like, overly sentimental, and, like, uh, Spencer Tracy won his uh, second Oscar. Um, he was the first actor to get back-to-back Oscars. Uh, uh, he won the second one for Boys Town, and he hated it. Because uh, mm. <laughs> he was starting to get, like, uh, typecast as a priest. But, like, I, I really liked it, and it was sentimental, but I don't know. It was like it was moving. Though. You know, sometimes sentimentality isn't bad. Like there are certain moments in it where it's like, where they're like this like little kid character is being like way too cutesy. Hmm. 
uh, but I don't know. Mickey Rooney was a very like I mean he was he was a child actor. He basically like popped out of a vagina and started acting, uh, like Shirley Temple. Uh, <laughs> who made him (laughs) and so it wasn't like there was any training there or any method to it it was just like he was just a performer and he was going for the audience reaction or the reaction of you know just the people on the set and stuff and like he could be very over the top and especially in his more youthful performances he didn't seem to be putting much thought into it he was just like acting as hard as he could Mm. But it it could be infectious, and I don't know. I enjoy watching him, and like he did the films with Judy Garland in like the late '30s, early '40s, and and he was a like a crazy version of Puck in the the 1935 Midsummer Night's Dream. But I, I I don't know. I I just I like Mickey Rooney, and he a lot of people are just like, oh, crazy Mickey Rooney. He right. just went because Family Guy did a bit about him being crazy and oh really i yeah yeah. i don't know but i don't know i miss him already so yeah i mean i guess that's that the book is closed on crazy mickey rooney (laughs) good news this week too though i don't know about our listeners i know that you have certainly been worried about um amanda bynes over the course of the past year, there's you know there's been a lot of stuff in the news about her, um, you know like with her drug problems and like throwing the bong out the window and getting arrested and just uh, putting up all these tweets of like oh all these celebrities are ugly and just she's just being crazy, but you know she is legitimately like not mentally well and now she's in the custody of her parents and uh on her 28th birthday she went on a trip to mexico and she's looking healthy and everything seems fine so you know the universe sort of balances (laughs) itself out you know we lose an acting legend and amanda Bynes gets well (laughs) so on the road to recovery Those are the those are the big stories. This week. <laughs> the Hollywood Report. No, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, I, you know, we don't really talk about like too much, you know, film news. I guess. Yeah. Because I mean, there are so many different avenues for that. Today, I mean, on the internet, it's like every site is reporting on all that stuff. You can't go on Facebook without seeing stuff about all that seeing stuff about all that stuff (laughs) and because of that by the time a movie actually comes like a big movie like all the Avengers movies and stuff I always keep thinking they're all already out because I've been hearing about them for years yeah for so long but apparently no Um, I guess Winter Soldier just came out just came out yeah and like (laughs) I was I was done with that months ago but it's out heard it was good yeah, I heard it's it's very good. I haven't seen it yet. Um going to try to go this week sometime with my family. I still, as as far as like what's out now, I really want to see the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. And uh, I still haven't seen Muppets Most Wanted, which I really want to see. Yeah, you got to see that. And I feel like there was another one that I can't think of right now. What about you? You got a, a um, wish list for seeing movies that are out right now? 
Yeah, I'm glad that um, well, Amy's at Amy's. We got the Lego Movie, which I'm happy because I wanted to see that when it came out, but I didn't get a chance. So now I have a chance to see that. Didn't you end up seeing Wolf of Wall Street the night that you? Thought yeah, we were seeing? like we were either gonna go see the Lego Movie or Wolf of Wall Street, but um, yeah, I had to see Wolf <clears throat> of Wall Street because we were, had an episode about it. So, but I mean that was a that was a great movie though. Um, yeah, and Grand Budapest Hotel, I definitely definitely want to see that. Um, yeah, I don't know what else there is. Is Labor Day still out? I feel uh, like it. I feel like it didn't do well. I don't know. That's one. That and Monuments Men. That's at Amy's too, right? Monuments Men. Yep. Um, those two, like, they don't look like I'm gonna really enjoy them a lot, but. They're both by directors who, like, I've seen all their other movies, so I feel like I gotta keep going at this point. I can't just stop. Who directed Labor Day? Uh, Jason Reitman. Oh, okay. I think we had this conversation before, like, a couple weeks well, ago. Well, then we should stop. <laughs> <laughs> Six months in, we've already run out of material. Mm. J- you know, Jason Reitman, I just learned the other day, was, um... He had a small role in kindergarten, in kindergarten Cop, which was directed by his father, Ivan. You know, during the um, the fire drill, when... It's been a long time since I've seen Okay, kindergarten well, Cop. there's a fire drill. Okay. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he, like, bursts into this room, and there's two, like, probably, like, 13-year-old kids making out on the couch, and he's like... Don't you hear the alarm? It's a fire drill. That's that's my Schwarzenegger. <laughs> kids, don't you hear the alarm? Come with me if you want to live. And the kid's like, we thought it was just a drill. And he's like, well, it's not. Get out of here. And the, the boy, like the 13-year-old boy, who's like, we thought it was just a drill. That was Jason Reitman, director of Juno and Thank You for Smoking and Up in the Air and Young Adult and Labor Day. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Yep. So next time you watch Kindergarten Cop, look out for Jason Reitman. Always look out for Jason Reitman. He's going to get you. <laughs> what impression is that? Is that your That name? was my Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman? Yeah. But anyway. We had an interesting experience earlier this week, didn't we, Max? Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, our friend Alicia works with students at various elementary schools through the ymca through the ymca and uh she asked us to it's like an after school program yeah she asked us to come in and uh give some kind of a presentation or activity for the kids to do because they're always looking for other for people to come in and entertain them yeah but uh, educate them at the same time and so we went to three different schools and gave a presentation about puppetry. To clarify, we went to three different schools. Max gave a presentation on puppetry <laughs> and I stood awkwardly in the background and sometimes played with a marionette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was fun. It was it was very interesting. I kind of stressed out about it a little more than I had to i think 
I was kind of stressed because I had no idea what we were going into or what it would be like. And I also don't really know much about puppets. Yeah, I'm in the same boat where it's just like, I didn't know what the heck. Because when it started, we were going to talk about movies. Like when she first mentioned it, like way back when. We were going to talk about movies? Weren't we? And we were going to try and do like a green screen thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, yeah. We were going to try to like do this whole green screen rig but there's just too much equipment and thinking back on it now like that would have been way more effort than needed yeah if it was just one school then it would make more sense yeah yeah especially with like a lot of kids um the first school we went to had like about 30 or so kids and um yeah in my mind i kind of had this whole like history lesson planned out about like you know different types of puppets in their history and like how they you know how they work and that kind of thing um (laughs) most kids i don't think were too interested in that um it depends on the time of day when we got to them how many kids there were and what they felt like doing like the first school and the third the group of 30 kids like they were pretty i think a good amount of them were pretty interested throughout the yeah my whole spiel but I kind of talked a lot because I didn't know, like, where to go with it, really. So, you know, I had, like, a hand puppet that um, our friend Janine had made for me. It's a hand puppet of me, actually, <laughs> that she made uh, as a Christmas gift a few years ago. So I had that and a marionette, which I used in one of my student films. And um, what else did we show? We show we had a finger puppet that, we, uh, that Alicia made, yep. which we showed. And, and then we had little shadow puppets and then shadow on, puppets which like they got to make afterwards. yeah the, the activity was like all right so now we have all these popsicle sticks and you can <clears> draw like a character or something and make a shadow puppet it was kind of hard to explain to some of these kids what exactly the silhouette meant yeah they were drawing these elaborate pictures i was trying to like, say it like you know i would say silhouette and then i'm like oh well maybe they don't quite get that so i'm like just focus on the outline yeah but some of them still were but even like, that like you know i yeah. mean when you're a kid and you're drawing like you know something like a person like you want to draw that face on you know like i i get it but there was one i think it might have been at the second school where they they punched holes where the eyes were and like they made like a person's face or something and it's like they kind of got the idea because that's cool because the light shines through yeah you have eyes the uh the second group was the most fun for sure because it was a very small small very small it was like what six or seven kids seven or eight i think there were eight yeah and I started to give him the same sort of like five minute long. Or it was, yeah, I, I guess it was like about five to ten minutes that I a spiel that I gave in the first group. As soon as you just like said the word I puppet. I took the puppet out, the hand puppet, and I'm like, so this kind of hand puppet is like, you know, I tried oh to explain what God. it was. Can I try it? Can I try it? I want to touch the puppet. Yeah. Well, at first they were just like, you know, can he scratch his head? <laughs> So I'm like, uh, yeah. So like, I made the puppet scratch his head, and they like are laughing at that. And I'm kind of like, you know, they made talking through the puppet. puppet. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, can <laughs> he stick his this. hand in his mouth? Can he wipe his glasses? Can he do this? Can he do that? And then it, finally, I was just like, you know, who wants who wants to try it? And everyone was like, me, 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 me. And so I, you know, fortunately, there are only eight of them. So yeah, they all got. I think they all got a chance. With no, yeah, they all the did. Yeah. And the, yeah. And then I took the marionette out, and I, at that point, I just gave up trying to explain anything about it. And it was just like, who wants to try it? Yeah. 
And surprisingly, some of those kids could really work that marionette. Yeah. Even And even I was having some trouble with it because the strings were kind of messed up, a little bit tangled. They had been, like, cut and retied together. And, you know, it wasn't in the best condition. And it's kind of heavy, too. And for, like, those little kids and their tiny little arms, like, they... Some of them are really, like, making it do cool things. Mm. And... But, I mean, they were just, like, totally involved and interested. And I really liked the third school we went to because we got we got to spend more time there. So we, when they made their shadow puppets, we got to hold the light up and have them like actually try them out. Yeah, and I think a lot of them like they were really excited and then they did it and they were like, oh, oh like they kind of that cool. They finally like, I think it helped them understand like, oh, that's not how you do this. Like, yeah, you, it's all about the shape of yeah. the outline. But. Yeah, because some of them would draw something and then they'd cut it out and it'd be like. Well, that that's a blob. <laughs> nice blob you made there, Billy. Um, <laughs> but but you know, like overall, like I thought it was really cool, and especially coming off the heels of like, you know, we just had that big Muppet conversation. Yeah. And I had just seen uh, Muppets Most Wanted, and I've just been you know kind of watching through some of the Muppet movies and stuff. It was just really nice to like as, as you know as we were talking to the groups. You know, one of the things I say is like, you know, have you guys seen any movie or TV show with puppets? And in every single one of the groups, somebody there would say, Muppets Most Wanted. And that just made me happy because I was like, all right, you know, the Muppets are still connecting with kids and like, you know, capturing their imaginations. I was surprised that at two of the schools I don't know if it was all three but at least two somebody said Goosebumps yeah two at two I'm different schools Night of the Living Dummy yeah that's what I thought too but I was like, like is that show still on are they still like did they do it now I never watched the show did they do a show of that book or were they thinking of that book no they, book? they definitely did oh, a show okay. of that book alright um, yeah and the first group the little girl was like Goosebumps 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 <laughs> and I was like Goosebumps that show's like from when I was a kid. <laughs> How are you seeing Goosebumps? I'm like, is there a new version of Goosebumps or what? That's what I was thinking. Like, And then in the second group, yeah, or maybe it's, they see it all on Netflix. Oh, oh yeah, because now with Netflix and everything, all movies are just mm-hmm. out at the same time. Maybe maybe for this next generation coming up, there is no like, oh, that's an old movie. This is a new movie. Yeah, or like this is a movie from my childhood or whatever, because it's yeah. just like every movie was from my childhood. Or maybe we're just being optimistic. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, and then the, in the second group, somebody brought up Goosebumps because we took the marionette out, and they're like, "It's creepy. It's like Goosebumps." And yeah, I mean, I, I, it's very surprising. I liked in in the first group when the girl um, was asking you about the, uh, or I don't know if it was a girl who first brought it up, but. Your puppet had glasses but no eyes. Yeah. And you were talking about how they uh like glasses like represent the eyes. Yeah, they and you use Bunsen Honeydew as an example and this yeah. girl goes, You mean he was blind? <laughs> and yeah. you didn't like I say didn't know what no. Say. Yeah, I was you just, just like, kinda uh... like you're like, Oh, you think she you think he was blind and kinda laughed and like moved on. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? Yeah, because I like oh maybe he was maybe he was like daredevil he didn't need sight. So. I I thought it was funny that that like that she thought that you know 
follow that thought to its logical conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I was glad to to see that like they knew who Bunsen was. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, they she brought up like, why doesn't he have any eyes? And I'm like, well, you know, the Jim Henson would often say that like the eyes are like the most important feature on a puppet, like because they imply the character of who they are and like sort of determine what kind of a person they would be. And I was like, you know, do you guys know like Bunsen and Beaker? And they all were like, yeah, I'm like, well, Bunsen, you know, he just has glasses. <laughs> but yeah, then they took it to like, <laughs> so he's blind. And someone in the, in, <laughs> I'm like, well, no, no. Someone in the third school was saying like, like, I think it was like when you were first starting with the puppet, um, like, oh, he's not really moving. You're like making him move or something or something. Yeah. Along those was lines. that in the second group? I think it was in the third. And like somebody kind of shot it down with several people shot it down with like, use your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, good. I like that. They're like, no, that you're supposed to bring that to it. You don't just. Well, that was. Know. Yeah. I mean, and like. It's it's interesting because most of the time, like, especially in that second group, like as I was. Because in the first group, I was kind of like, I was a little more nervous and like, I wasn't really operating the puppet as like a character. Yeah. But in the second group, I kind of like got more into it and was like kind of using it more like, you know. Like when they said he's handsome. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you had to react to that. And I kind of was like, you know, yeah, doing, playing it up. They were, it got a really good reaction. Like they were laughing at the things that the puppet was doing. And, um. It's just funny because like I I just watched a um a little interview with Jim Henson on the Muppets Take Manhattan DVD, and he was saying how like you know to him the process of how puppetry is done shouldn't be something that you hide from like kids or the audience or whatever. Yeah. Part of the magic is seeing how it's done, and. He was saying, like, you know, kids would go into, like, the Muppet workshop and, you know, he would, like, put on Kermit's, you know, thing. Or whenever, like, in Sesame Street when they're, like, working with the kids or whatever. You can see that it's just, like, the puppet ends at the waist. It's, this person has its hand in it. I'm speaking through my own voice. I'm not, like, a ventriloquist. Yeah. I'm holding the rod. I'm controlling the hand. But the kid doesn't see any of that. They just see the puppet and they'll talk to it like it's a real person and uh yeah there's there is real magic in that so it was cool like i i kind of got i kind of was able to catch like feel get a little glimmer of that feeling you know <laughs> nowhere near as you know good as, as someone like jim henson but um well, i definitely i enjoyed it and i want to i want to do more stuff like that like I don't like maybe not puppets, but like just go like yeah around to like schools like Shows just talking to kids about like about movies cool, and cool things, things. Yeah. yeah. And that's like you know I hope that um maybe there's just a couple kids out of the whole day that you know that hopefully maybe this stuck with some of them or made them a little bit more interested in in puppets and yeah. in that kind of thing and. You know, just making creative things. Yeah, just like being imaginative and just because that, that was one thing that I kept trying to say is like, you know, you guys can go home and like, you know, you find a sock like, you know, or whatever, 
materials you have and like you can make a character and i mean that's how kermit started you know it's just a sock and a ping pong ball all you got to do is just use your imagination the night before we uh did these presentations i made a puppet out you, of you did yeah out of some foam that had been ripped from the bed that i lost my virginity in Ooh. Just anything you find around. <laughs> you were going to bring that to a school full of kids. They don't know. I wasn't going to tell them. It's like, before I present this puppet, I should let you kids know. It has that, a little bit of my uh, spunk on it. Many years ago, a girlfriend of mine was hanging out with me. We were listening to Pesh Mode, and we decided... No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we decided. Like, it was like a committee meeting. <laughs> you know, darling, I think we should proceed with this. Because I talk like that. That's why I don't have a girlfriend right now. Um, <laughs> whenever I'm in a relationship, I have that voice. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a weird-looking puppet. It was kind of not that great. So I'm glad that I didn't bring it. But And also, I used a, uh, an elastic glove for its, like, hair, and it had some sort of, like, brown, sticky substance on it that, like, I just found it at the studio. And so. that, that puppet also didn't have eyes, just had glasses. Yeah. So. Half-hazardly scotch-taped to its head. Yeah. But, like, thinking about it now, I mean, like, the kids probably would have thought that that puppet was maybe kind of cool. Maybe not so much Thank in, you, the, in the... Thank you, Max. I appreciate that. <laughs> maybe not so much in the bigger group because we were just so f- much further away from them because there are so many of them yeah. that it's like hard to like you know really see it you know because that thing was pretty tiny yeah. and it also I mean that had uh, been in a flood um, so like it probably stinks <laughs> a little too it's got like mildew in it maybe and like uh, so they don't boy. want that puppet up near kids faces right? yeah <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, so maybe we'll do something again like that. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. But anyway, let's get into the movie of the evening, Frankenstein Unbound. This was, you know, as you may know, the theme of the month is listener requests. And this request came from Steve Nally. I don't know why he wanted us to watch Frankenstein Unbound and talk about it, but we did it. We did it. Well, we haven't talked about it yet, but we watched it. Yeah. So thank you, Steve. Yeah, thank you. I think it was a... Um, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Frankenstein Unbound, which is probably a pretty good probability, you might want to consider watching it. I'm going to tell you right <laughs> off the bat, it's not for everyone. Um, was it for you? I wouldn't say that it's a, a good film. But it was entertaining, at least. I had fun watching it. And it's really short. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I would say it's a good film that's got bad stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's fair. Like the um, performance of uh, Brindle? Is that the the guy who plays the monster? What's the introducing credit yeah. that he gets even though apparently he had like he'd been working since 1970 um was it nick brindle jolly old nick brindle jolly old nick brindle yeah brimble brimble yes nick brimble as the monster 
I just I don't know what he, I don't know if maybe he wasn't getting good direction. Roger Corman may have, might have been rusty. He hadn't directed in almost 30 years, by which I mean 19 years. Um, yeah, the DVD case says, um, well, to quote it exactly, for, the fir- for his first film in almost 30 years, like, and it had been 19 years since the last time he directed a film. He'd been producing tons of films mm-hmm. in the interim, but anyway, Nick Brimble as the monster I just, I don't know yeah. what was going on there. It seemed like a very, it's just, it wasn't a strong direction to go. With just like, I didn't like the whole look of him. I didn't like. This is very inconsistent. Anything about, anything about him, really. Yeah. He wasn't scary. He wasn't, like, he, he wasn't, uh, you didn't feel sorry for him. It wasn't like anything that's good about any of the other portrayals of you know what what the character is you know yeah it didn't have any of those the, any of those hallmarks same with uh same with dr frankenstein just a very kind of like bland character see i liked his performance like he wasn't bad but i don't i feel like it was just raul julia just being all suave and like if, I if might have just enjoyed that. You, that. you might as well just watch the Adams Family. <laughs> but I've already seen the Adams Family movies, and there, he didn't get to do a lot. He died very young. His last film was Street Fighter, which I haven't seen. Who do you play in Street Fighter? I don't know. I remember in the trailer he looked like he was dressed like Hitler, and he was like he had his fist in the air, being angry. <laughs> Maybe he played M Bison. I don't really know Street Fighter. Monsieur Bison? (laughs) I mean, the character's name is M. Bison, but he's kind of like a... Is M an initial, though, or is it like... Yeah, M is is an initial. Huh. You never know what it stands for? Um, I don't know. They always just say M. Bison. Huh. Um, But anyway, yeah, I mean, Dr. Frankenstein... Honestly, the whole time while I was watching it, I was thinking, John Hurt should have played Dr. Frankenstein. The problem with that is, we wouldn't have gotten to spend so much time with John Hurt. Yeah, but I feel like if you're going to make a movie uh, like <laughs> based on the Frankenstein story with John Hurt, like he should be playing Dr. Frankenstein because he would be a great Dr. Frankenstein. As soon as he started talking one of the things that struck me was just like his voice sounds almost identical to um, Colin Clive who played yeah. Dr. Frankenstein in uh, James Whale's Frankenstein in 1931 which is the Frankenstein movie that most people think of when they think of Frankenstein with Boris Karloff as the monster. I mean, it, it like at times it was almost like uncanny, like how similar they, like the voice, you know. And I'm like, man, I want to hear John Hurt give like an impassioned, you know, speech about being God and creating a man and all that and life and death and everything. But unfortunately, like, yeah, we're spending a lot of time with John Hurt, but he's not really like given much of a character arc. True. Because almost immediately, he's kind of just like, 
I have created a monster. And like, you know, he, he doesn't really change that much from the beginning to the end. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm confused about several things in this film. Mm-hmm. All right. So his dream sequences. Yeah. Where they do, um, I think we, we mentioned this in the, when we were talking about Mario Bava back in December, how he had um, that trick that he would use where he'd put a piece of warped glass in front of the camera and yeah, like film looked, through it while he moved like around. Yeah, kind of like that, eh? Um, like, but what was, what, what was, do you think those mean? I don't know. I thought that <laughs> it was, it might be like everything that he was experiencing was some kind of like a dream. And the and the dreams that he was having, the nightmares or whatever, were like whatever the reality was kind of like leaking through. And he was sort of... Because it looked like he was being like operated on and stuff. Yeah. I just want to quickly say that... Because I'm guessing a lot of people haven't watched this movie. To talk a little bit about what this movie is about. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay. Do a, do a little... <clears throat> yeah. The movie's called Frankenstein Unbound. And I think that's a pretty <laughs> poor way to describe what the movie is. And especially when you see, like, the, the front of the DVD case and, like, the DVD menu, all it is is just, like, a super up-close shot of an eyeball that's been stitched together from, like, four different eyeballs or something like that. Why you would choose to use an image like that instead of, I don't know, something a little more imaginative... Because this movie is about it, it, John Hurt's character, Doctor Buchanan, in the year nineteen thirty or not nineteen twenty thirty one, is basically creating this new weapon for the army, and the side effects of this weapon create a uh, time storm in the sky. Time slip. Time slip that occasionally it opens up. Quite like a vagina, actually. Quite like a vagina. <laughs> and uh, sometimes people from other time periods pop out, and sometimes you get sucked in. And that's what happens to him. He gets sucked through this time slip, winds up in, what was it, 1813, I think? 17. No, was I it, think it, 17. No, it was 18. No, 1817. Oh, 1817. Okay, yeah. <laughs> 1817, okay. Yeah. And, uh, so he finds himself in 1817, and one of the first people he meets is Dr. Frankenstein. And uh, he winds up hanging out with him, and he also winds up hanging out with Mary Shelley, the original author of the book Frankenstein. So, I mean, it's got this whole sort of like time travel thing there's like he's driving this futuristic car all through the past you know like um i just feel like i can just imagine like a really cool sort of like drew struzan style poster of like you know seeing some of the future and the past and like the frankenstein monster and it's like oh frankenstein time traveling frankenstein thing you know i feel like it should have just gone more in that direction of like We've got the Frankenstein monster. We're traveling through time. I don't know. <laughs> and, like, no one... He's got this car. 
Yeah. His futuristic car, even if it wasn't a futuristic car, if it was just a regular automobile, whatever. Like, he's driving it around, and there's all these, like, 19th century peasants and stuff, and they're all like, oh. Like, the reaction is just kind of like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Not like, oh my god, what like, the what fuck the is hell? that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Several missed opportunities in this. One thing I did like, um, I liked the whole idea of um, the young girl on trial mm. for the murder of Frankenstein's little brother. Yeah, that whole subplot was was pretty interesting, actually. I wish there had been more payoff to it. Yeah, because especially like the the I, I like the actress who was playing the, the young girl. Like she did a really good job in the uh, in like a courtroom scene. Now, who is that? His daughter. I'm looking it up right now. Frankenstein's daughter. Roger Corman. Oh, Roger Corman's daughter. Um, She's I don't, played I don't by Catherine Corman. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, probably either her, his daughter or his niece or something. Yes, daughter of Roger Corman and Julie Corman, uh, who's a producer in her own right. And it, according to IMDb, Catherine Corman is also a uh, director of two short films made in the past few years. But anyway, uh, it was a good for somebody who clearly got the role because her father was directing the film. It was a very good performance. And yeah, one of the did, better ones in the movie. Did a good job and for, yeah. and it, she didn't have much screen time, but um, definitely left an impression. Definitely, yeah, definitely left an impression. And there's that really great shot when she is hung. Yeah, as we're kind of looking back from John Hurt's perspective as he gets pulled away through the crowd. So it's all kind of handheld, and we see her body just like fall through the gallows and. That whole scene was really good, I thought. Yeah, and I at that point, I still thought, like, somehow someone's going to come and save her. Yeah, yeah. So then she just kind of, like, almost, like, it was in the background of the shot. It was still the focus of the shot, but mm-hmm. it was, like, far back and just kind of, like, casually, like, she drops down and she's dead. Like, I was a little shocked. Like, yeah. It was effective. But I just, I don't know. It was. But, but you think about it, like, in... <laughs> In, in the overall scheme of the movie and it's just really weird because like literally the next scene is like John Hurt waking up on the on the beach with Mary Shelley and he's like do you want to go for a ride in my car and then they're like sort of like pleasantly cruising around he's smiling yeah. looking over at her and casually telling her about the future and being like oh you haven't written your book yet but here you go here it is and just giving him giving her you know so she never actually book. has to write it yeah. I assume she copies it over so she doesn't just hand in there like, what is this? Oh, it's printed out from a computer. <laughs> like, you couldn't give that to a publisher. <laughs> yeah. No, he, she would, you know. It's it's really it. odd to like take, so it just completely takes the creative process out of it. Like, she just, so then it's the, given to but her. But then the question is, where does that original writing come from? Like, if if she copied it from the book that was published... From the alternate eighteen seventeen, the alternate eighteen seventeen, the one without a, the one without Joe. <laughs> oh, I I don't know. It's time travel movies always have these issues, and like, well, it depends on what the rules are of the time yeah. traveling, because there are you know, 
can you if when you go into the past can you change the future or if it's from the, the same timeline or when you go into the past is it like where if you do something in the past it doesn't change the outcome of the future because in our present whatever happened in the past happened exactly the way that it did whether i suddenly are traveled or transported back to the past and do something i can't change this because that already happened from our perspective so if you go back in time and kill someone they don't die no they do so then how does everything still happen if that person's not around to do it well what what exactly do you mean Like, I don't know, let's say, like, you go back in time and you kill my parents. And then you come back to now, am I here? No, but see, like, if I went back into the past, it there's no way that I could kill your parents. Because they're alive in the present. They so you would, like, shoot at them and they, the bullets would just disappear? No, I mean, it, it's just, like... I wouldn't be able to get to that point, you know, because if, if I went back to the past with the intent to do it, yeah, it's a doomed mission because I know that I must have failed for for whatever reason, whether I got hit by a bus or whatever, because obviously my mission didn't work because your parents are still here. Okay. So the, the past like a, has no effect on the present or the future. Well, it does because... <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess, like, because when you're in the past, it is the present. It is your present. And so the things that you do, do affect the future. <laughs> but that future is already in place. So, I yeah, I'm not sure, like, you know. So I'm guessing what what's happening here is that he's going into the past, and the things that he's doing are altering the future. That's probably the rules that they're going with here. Because, for instance, like, uh, you know, as uh, we were watching it and, you know, John Hurt is showing Mary Shelley this, like, future car and it's, like, got a computer in it that talks and mm. prints out the thing. And he's like, I'm from the future. I'm like, okay, so she wrote this book, Frankenstein, based on apparently this real person, Dr. Frankenstein, who actually did make a monster. Yeah. So she's already basing her story on real events. So why didn't this whole time traveler work into the story? Because, like, if I'm writing the story, I'm like, <laughs> shit, yeah, okay. Someone came back from the future to stop Dr. Frankenstein. Like, so I'm like, why isn't he in the book if, you know. So I think, yeah, like, she probably, after he was gone, she probably changed the, the writing and, you know, could have added this whole other thing into it. So there's like an alternate version of Frankenstein yeah. for that dimension, yeah. that timeline. Can you imagine the James Whale movie that that would be like? <sighs> the 1931 film with Boris Karloff with the story of Frankenstein Unbound. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, um, and they end up, the ending is similar to one of the endings of Army of Darkness in a way. They, it's they like wind I've up in gone the, too in the far, far future, yeah. yeah. Although it, the very last shot is optimistic. 
I guess. Yeah, strangely maybe? optimistic. Because it's like, oh, there is civilization. It was just, it was over there. <laughs> yeah. He he was looking in this direction. He didn't turn around and be like, <laughs> oh, crap, there's a huge city, city yeah. behind me. I thought it was a wasteland. Um, the, the ending was... Could you explain the ending? Um, from from when he goes down into that tunnel and meets the monster again, like until like what? I, I just I don't get it. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so they go into the far future, right? When they leave eighteen seventeen, and they end up on like um on a on a movie set full of snow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and and part and it's funny because like looking at the Frankenstein monster, it was already reminding me of like a bad alien from like Star Trek. And then <laughs> they wind up, uh, you know, on that set in like the destroyed uh, uh, tower. Yeah. And it just looked so much like a soundstage that it just felt like a Star Trek episode all of a sudden. So anyway, they wind up in this world of like you know snow and he finds his laboratory that he's in in the at the beginning of the movie and he tries to kill the monster and the monster is like talking about the city he's like oh this place is the brain of the city and john hurt doesn't really care about that he just shoots him and uh he kills the monster, and then the monster says, well, he basically, John Hurt leaves, sees the city, yeah. and then there's this disembodied voice of the monster that's like, I will be with you forever, or something like that. I don't remember the exact phrasing. My interpretation was like, okay, somehow he was able to like interface with this computer place, and his consciousness is now a part of the whole city inspired by when he's he meets the car right and basically. says like is this a man i thought he was gonna fall in love with the voice of the car and just, yeah like <laughs> and be like this is my bride <laughs> this shall be my mate <laughs> oh god um <laughs> it's and when when John Hurt's character says, I am Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. How do you interpret that? I interpret it as being like, he is Frankenstein in the uh, thematic sense, I guess. In the... What, what is his monster? His monster is the weapon that he created, which caused the whole time slip. Which presumably destroyed the world. But... At the same time, his lab is now the brain of this other society. I, mean, I don't know what that society. I didn't, I didn't. When I honestly, when I saw it, like I didn't even think that that was like an inhabited city. I thought it was just like an abandoned city that was running on autopilot. And it looked a little like when um, they're approaching the Emerald City in the Thirty Nine Wizard mm. of Oz, which brings us back to, to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, where something tells me we're not in kansas anymore or whatever like that's been great in the at the end as he's like walking towards the the uh the city and then that song was about it's like <laughs> i don't know the words to it but like you know as they as they finally are done with the, the poppy field 
They like <laughs> sort of skip up to the doors to the Emerald City. Well, speaking of like the future and everything, and time and whatnot, I should point out that right now Max has just aged. Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday, a... Max. Oh, thank you, Tim. I guess, <laughs> according to my clock, there's one minute left. To well, go. according to my phone, it's 12.01 now. Oh, yeah. No, it's... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think that... I didn't even realize that that was going to happen in, while we were recording. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's my birthday now. So. All right. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I was thinking of, uh, <laughs> like imagine if Frankenstein Unbound became like really popular. It was like a big smashing success. Yeah. And the whole idea of like these, like the time slip, I just imagine like a series of sequels <laughs> kind of like quantum leap almost or like he like he's trying to get back to his like own time but he keeps winding up in like other times but they always cross he always crosses paths with like other classic novels so like it'd be like you know huck finn unbound <laughs> and then he's like you know like great expectations unbound but he still has the monster with him. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> he, he, like they keep gaining characters. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz. So, like, you know, the monster would be like, you know, like the Scarecrow or the Tin Man or something. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I. So, where his car just got left in the 19th century. I assume it exploded. Because they're talking about like the laser. Oh, okay. Explosion. Yeah, the, just, I, I missed. I mean, it wasn't. It, none of that stuff was really illustrated very well. That's the yeah. Thing. Well, I get the feeling they didn't quite have a huge budget on this. Oh, not at all. The way you could Roger tell, like Corman the way that it was shot, and like they're for. very, sh they're, they're you know shooting around a lot yeah. of action and stuff, you know. And, like, in a way, it was skillfully done, but at the same time, it was very obvious, yeah. like, when they were pointing the camera in certain directions. And But, like, I mean, some of the things, like, I really liked the matte paintings. They were very obvious. But they're cool in yeah. that way that the, it's, like, you know, I, I like seeing that, the future scape, you know? Mm. <laughs> 16 years <laughs> into the future, or however long it is. And I, I like just watching a movie and just being like, wow, I can see the work that went into it. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Like, And yeah, it, a lot of work does go into like computer effects and stuff like mm. that. But it, it's different. It's not like these are like craftsmen. Yeah. I mean, the matte painting is basically a dead art form at this point. Well, now it's mutated in a sense. Like there are movies that are like just matte. Yeah. Like yeah avatar is one big matte painting <laughs> that's true yeah um and it's not necessarily like you know a good or bad thing but it is i don't know it's nice to see this this was made in 1990 and it had bridget fonda who that same year was in um godfather 3 which is for some reason that strikes me as odd two very promising looking movies <laughs> at the outset and like seven years later she was in a film with another 
Frankenstein's monster, That's Robert true. De Niro. Yeah, and Jackie Brown. Yeah. And they had one of my favorite sex scenes from any movie. Uh, yeah, go watch Jackie Brown. You'll know what I'm talking about. Um, how many versions of, of the Frankenstein story have you seen? On 17. Film? No, I don't know. Um, I was going to say, wow, that's damn impressive that you just know off the top of your head. <laughs> ah, I should have prepared for this and just written that down. Um, dare I just go down the IMDb list of things credited to Mary Shelley as writer? No. Uh, no. That would... I mean, <laughs> there are so many. Yeah. Uh, well, I, the, the Edison Frankenstein. I've never seen that. Uh, it's like 10 minutes. So you should. I think it's probably on YouTube. Hmm. A lot of Edison stuff is. Um, That one has a great uh, creation scene. They just put... uh, Have you seen any clips? I've seen clips of it. Have you seen that clip? I think so. Yeah, where they just basically like put like a a mannequin in an oven and they like melt it down, but they film it in reverse so it looks like it's just like growing into a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And then the next one would be James Wales' Frankenstein from 1931. And then The Bride of Frankenstein, yeah, the Son of Frankenstein, Frankenstein sequels, Ghost yeah. of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Meets Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Uh, and then the Hammer the ones, Hammer I've only seen Curse of Frankenstein and Revenge of Frankenstein. Um, I'm trying to think, what's the last one? Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell? Yeah. That's the one with David Prowse, right? Yep. Yeah. Is that why you saw it? No, I I saw it because it was the only one on Netflix at the time. Ah. <laughs> um How is it? It's uh, you know, not <laughs> not that great. I came late to the Hammer ones. I think if I'd seen them when I was very young, I could have like gotten really into them. Uh I I did I really liked Curse of Frankenstein. Revenge of Frankenstein is weird. Well, that whole series is weird because it focuses on when they say Frankenstein, they, they mean, mean Frankenstein, Frankenstein, not yeah. the monster. It's a, it's. I think it's a, usually a different monster in each film. Yeah, and the Revenge of Frankenstein. It's a very interesting movie. It's not. I can't imagine. Like maybe if I watched it when I was young, I just would have been bored. Though. Hmm. It's a lot of. They're very talky. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, when it's Peter Cushing doing the talking, it's that's that's really the draw for yeah. those movies. I think is seeing. Because, I mean, it, P- Peter Cushing is in, he's the central character in all of them. And he, he plays a really great Frankenstein. And uh, he's just, he's just great to watch. In the, um, I'm trying to think of Frankenstein movies beyond that. Um, I saw one of the two or three different films that are called Dracula versus Frankenstein. <laughs> I saw the one directed by Al Adamson. It was Dracula has an afro, and uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s in it, and it's really sad because mm. he was just at that point in his life he was dying from throat cancer, and he was a raging alcoholic, and he had no lines. He was just grunting, and he was all sweaty, and it's just a sad movie. Um, and the monster in that is just. I don't know what they made that guy out of. It's like they just took this actor and just like stuck random pieces of like putty and oatmeal all <laughs> over his face. 
and then he just kind of stumbles around from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you you haven't seen Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. No. Which I've seen that, or at least most of it. I, I've seen it on TV. Um, and that's a that's a weird one. It's not. It's. It's really hard, like when you, especially like comparing to like to just getting past like the monster because it's so ingrained in our sort of pop culture of like what the Frankenstein monster looks like. And that's like the universal Boris Karloff classic looking yeah. Designed by Frankenstein monster. When you see Robert De Niro kind of like, you know, with like a hunchback kind of just lumbering around, it doesn't really feel like, yeah, I'm watching Frankenstein, <laughs> you know? Just something about it just feels, like, just off and weird. And not really, like, I don't know. Have you read the original novel? Um, About half of it, actually. I I never got all the way See, through. See, the thing is, like... It's just really short. I don't know why. Yeah, thought, but. <laughs> I, I've never read the whole thing, either. And it's not like I've read, like, half of it. I've read, like, bits and pieces throughout the book. Like, I flip through and look for things for some reason. Hmm. And, like, it seems like that... I haven't read all of Dracula, either. I, no, me neither. It seems like I watch all these movies that right. are based on these, like, two legendary novels. Like, why don't I just sit and read them? Yeah, and I have, like, three different copies of... I have the annotated Dracula now by Leonard Wolf, And, like... Yeah. Um, but at the same time, because of reading so much about all these films, I know when the movies are accurate and when they're not. Right. So it's kind of weird. Like, I didn't even read it, but I'm still like, well, in the book, this happened. Because <laughs> I read it in another book when I was, like, eight. <laughs> and I feel like certain films are known for being more... Like, the James Way... Like, all the Universal Frankenstein movies, they're, they're not... They take basic ideas from it and characters, but it's very different. The De Niro version... Strive. was known for being closer. Yeah, strived to be a more faithful adaptation. And there are a couple uh, made-for-TV versions from the 70s. I've only seen one of them, which was, I think, made for Swedish television and dubbed into English. Hmm. I don't know why. That was... I I have it on VHS. And I just remember being really bored. Yeah. Um, maybe because it was so accurate. I don't know. Uh, that's the problem with novels into film. Uh, but there was one from the early 90s. It was the year before Mary Shelley's Frankenstein came out. It's just called Frankenstein. It was made for TNT. Pat okay, yep. Patrick Bergen played Frankenstein and Randy Quaid played the monster. So it's weird that there were like a couple, within four years, there were like at least three different Frankenstein movies put out. Yeah. And, I mean, like, when you look at, like, all through the 80s, like, I mean, there had to have been a Frankenstein movie in there Well, there somewhere. was The Monster Squad. There's The Monster Squad, which featured all of the sort of classic yeah, uh, monsters. Yeah, the Universal Monsters. But, I mean, just, like, a, just a straight-up, like, Frankenstein movie. I guess 1990 rolled around, and it was yeah, like, all I right, time to dig back into the Frankenstein world. Maybe people were like, you know what? We're sick of all these slasher movies. Let's bring back the classic monsters. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what happened. Because the slasher craze died just around then. And uh, I guess they were looking for the next 
and like popularity wise like horror films in general were like kind of on the down from like the mid 80s until scream yeah and there were exceptions i mean silence of the lambs was 1991 mm-hmm. but i mean you know people call it a horror movie and i yeah i guess it is but it's not like it's a very different kind of horror movie it's a uh i'd classify it almost more so as like a psychological thriller whatever that is it's such a it's, it's a, a term people use when they don't want to say horror movies yeah that's yeah that's i remember true. like growing i this that era was when i was getting into movies and reading about them and stuff like in fangoria and like so many people like being interviewed and like writing in fangoria would talk about that term and be like it's really hard to write about horror movies these days because when you go to like a film company and you're like, oh, we want to interview these people, and they're like, well, you're a horror magazine. We don't make horror movies. We do make psychological, psychological thrillers. Psychological thrillers. Silence of the Lambs has a cannibal who cuts people's faces off and wears them, and there's another guy who just wears like whole body suits of women he kills and like. Yeah. He keeps them in, like, a dungeon. It's a fucking horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're right. It is a horror movie. (laughs) Misery, also, which was the same year as Frankenstein Unbound. And it also uh, got an Oscar for somebody. So, So, yeah. Um, Yeah, and then Scream happened, and then the 90s slasher was born. There's just so many of those. Which was similar to the 80s slashers, except there was less gore and more snarkasm. Yeah. And it suddenly became like a whodunit. Like, all of those movies were like, you know, they they felt almost like Scooby-Doo mysteries. Only if the killer, only if the monster was like an actual murderer. <laughs> and he was picking off the Scooby gang one by one. Like, the, the killer is still unmasked at the end. But it's not like, oh, I'm not a monster. But it's like, g- I am a monster. I just happen to be this other person. Yeah, and the gang isn't there to be like, we did it, guys. <laughs> like, oh, it was you all along. And then you turn around and it's like, ah, oh, you killed all my friends. <laughs> and my dog. <sighs> Poor Scooby. That was the saddest episode ever. As far as, like, the evolution of, like, the Frankenstein character goes, there's, I'm not sure what's going on now. Because there was that um, I, Frankenstein, that just came out, like, sometime in the past couple months. Did it come out? Because I read, I read the title, like, a while ago. Oh, I, I like, thought oh, it came out, and everybody was like, that looks horrible, and didn't go to see it, and it bombed. That didn't even come out yet? See, I don't even... I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. I heard good things about Frankenstein's Army, which was last year. Frankenstein. Um, see, that's another movie that I haven't heard of. That was one that um, I'd read a little about, and Madeline was raving about it, because she had seen it at a festival or something. But what was weird, I, didn't, I haven't seen it. It's odd, though. It's a found footage film that takes place in World War II. And I just, I don't, I'd have to see it because I don't buy that premise as far as like a found footage film from the forties. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I Frankenstein came out in January 24th. Yeah. See, all I knew was just the title, but it, I saw I'm reading the, the log line on IMDb Frankenstein's creature finds himself caught in an all out centuries war between two immortal clans. It's just a big action movie, and they were like, let's throw Frankenstein in here. <laughs> Which, the the monster, those classic monsters have kind of like, that's what it's become. Like Van Helsing. Like Van Helsing, 
and um even like the mummy movies really kind of turned the mummy from the horror side of things to the all-out action adventure. Which I'm fine with that in relation to the mummy because, because the, I mean it, it fits that world a little better. And the you know? 40s mummy movies can be a chore. Oh yeah, for sure. The, it's you kind of want them to take it in a more like fun, rollicking adventure mm-hmm. direction, more like Indiana Jones, which yeah, you know, that's, so that's fine. But it, what it did was like set a precedent, so it's like suddenly like oh, it all has to be like action adventure. So that's what they did with Van Helsing, and um, oh the, the um. Uh, what are they called? The the it's a whole series of movies, um, with the vampires versus un- underworld. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like the the big sort of like vampire werewolf. I mean, like there are so many movies and TV shows now about like vampires and werewolves and stuff. Teen Wolf and, and, and uh, Twilight. Dracula and yeah, which I never watched. I don't think it's coming back. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't I haven't heard anything. When it was coming out, people were talking about it. And then once it premiered, I didn't hear anything. Yeah. So I'm, I'll assume that nobody watched. But they're all going for this sort of like fantasy uh, action epic, and it's like, and the and the times that they do try to just do a more so like straight, kind of like back to the basics adaptation, like. The Wolfman with Anthony Hopkins and Benicio del Toro. Yeah, it just wasn't good. <laughs> see that? No, I didn't see it, but like I saw images from it and stuff, and it struck me as like a big overblown epic type thing because it was. It looked like it looked like Sin City. Everything was so shiny and flashy and stuff. Yeah, and that's yeah. I I saw it in the theater actually. I mean, I guess like. It's deceiving in in a way because I mean it is it does turn into a big action movie where, like the last like fifteen minutes is just like an all out battle between two werewolves just like fighting each other, and I mean it's that sounds cool like two werewolves yes oh a so twist. it's a little bit of a twist to the uh, to the original story I think I know the twist okay what is it is his father a werewolf too and it's some sort of like family thing yep yeah Yeah, you know the twist because i mean there was definitely like family stuff in the original film but they seem to be playing it up in the commercial Mm. for the remake in like a weird way yeah so it's genetic it has nothing to do with bela or anything bela the gypsy (sighs) attacking him yeah it's it's like a i can't quite remember it because I only saw it that one time in the theater, but it's like, I think what it was, was like his father was a werewolf. And because, you know, at the beginning of, of the, of the Wolfman, the Lon Chaney Wolfman, like he's bitten by a wolf, mm. by like a werewolf. Yeah. Apparently. Well, the same thing happens here. Only like the werewolf that he's bitten by is like his father, I think. Huh. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's weird. There's this interesting kind of, like, continuity that Universal Studios had going on between all of their films, where it's, (laughs) sometimes they would, like, going from sequel to sequel, like, let's take the Frankenstein films, for example. Like, in some ways, they didn't take continuity too seriously. 
But in other ways, they kind of like really made sure to pick up where the last one left off. Yeah. To the point where like I would almost expect them to not worry so much about it. But sometimes it really seemed like they went out of their way to like, you know, oh, he's frozen in ice and you know in, in the last one and like okay so now he's got to be thought out in this one and like the sulfur pit has solidified or yeah the sulfur pit is solidified yeah um even though like the you know frankenstein's castle seems to be like in many different places and stuff and this it's an early mobile home <laughs> yeah but do you off the top of your head remember where frankenstein's monster ends up like at the end of that whole run of films not counting Abbott and Costello no let, let's count Abbott and Costello where is he at the end of Abbott and Costello I don't remember I'm not a huge Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein fan okay let, so, so let's forget about it but Abbott I actually Costello. don't remember how he ends at Horror of Dracula we've talked about this before though not really? on the show or anything oh but I don't remember what it was like how does he end up at the end of House of Dracula I can't remember I know that he does his usual, well, by that point in the series, his usual, he's lying on a slab for the majority of the film, and then at the right. end, he gets up and walks around for about 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. And they're like, he's a monster! And then, you know, he probably fucks shit up in the lab, and then... I'm a suit, does it burn down? Probably. A lot of fires in that. Yeah. Larry Talbot shoots Dr. Edelman, I think, right? He shoots somebody. Because the Wolfman's cured. Or that's, so we think until right, we get to Abbott yeah. and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah. Which I get, we can take that as not being part, of, part of that. And it was also, I mean, like, House of Dracula sort of like kind of ends the universal cycle because then uh, International Pictures comes in. And then by the time Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is around, it's no longer Universal, it's Universal International. Okay. Yeah. So that's like the Universal International cycle, which would include like Creature from the Black Lagoon and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. It's, which is weird that that always kind of gets grouped in with all the other classic I think monsters. Because of all the the '50s sci-fi movies that were put out by Universal, I think that's the only one that, that had recurring kind of, character. And that kind of like had that central monster character that could, you sympathized that, with. Yeah, and... that could fit in with the with the rest of them. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, like, you know, imagine if they made a sequel to, I guess, House of Dracula, and kind of like tried to like play it up adhere to the continuity of that to the point where you're kind of like taking that very same monster and bringing him you know alive again he's just buried under the burnt up rubble of that house and and I don't know maybe you said it you could either set it in modern day time or set it in the unspecified timeless era that all of the universal monster movies take place in i think it, i mean it would sort of be in that era but people would also have cell phones and computers because they would add right pe people were making phone calls and driving cars but at the same time they were dressing like peasants in the 19th century yeah so it would be, be like that would be really they'd still cool. be dressing just that. like make this whole world that's like has some of the modern uh luxuries when i first saw uh, like or first heard of or saw images from Frankenstein Unbound years ago. I didn't really know what it was. That's what I thought it was. I didn't realize it was about time travel. I just thought, hey, this guy's got this futuristic car, and there's like peasants. Yeah. 
or like he's using a computer and they're like they don't have indoor plumbing and stuff like that. it's just i don't know like an interesting like clash because that would be kind of cool like the like so much of the world has just stayed the same over the last 70 years but there are like some technological advances mm. and you make the whole thing in black and white and really try to capture some of the the essence of the of those original films i wonder if it could be done authentically yeah i mean 30 years later mel brooks did an amazing job with young frankenstein making it like look and feel like a universal monster movie yeah but he still had some of the people who worked on those films to begin with like uh kenneth strickfaden or faden i'm not sure which uh who he did all the all the lab equipment and all the Frankenstein movies oh, and stuff. Oh, really? And like the Tesla coils and all the random like doodads. He just he collected them and he was into that. And then they were making these like, anytime people were making uh, mad mad doctor movies or anything, they'd be like, "Hey Ken, you, you bring your stuff over." Like, like yeah. yeah, okay, I'll bring my stuff over. <laughs> that's one thing in Frankenstein and Bound that's pretty sad to see is Frankenstein's lab because it just looks like those electric ball orbs that you find in like Spencer's. Yeah. And it's just, he's got a couple of them. Although, I mean, you know, we are talking a lot about like, the Universal monster movies and stuff. And, like, Frankenstein Unbound is basically, like, just dealing with the book. Right. And, the, and again, haven't read it, but it's my understanding that in the book it just says, like, the whole creation sequence, which is, like, such a big part of all the movies and mm-hmm. there are different takes on it. In the book, isn't it just, like... He created them. Oh, and then he created them. Yeah. Like, it, it's completely left up to your imagination how he went about it. I don't believe it says anything about digging up dead bodies and putting them together. It just, he makes them. And one thing is that this movie, Frankenstein Unbound, is not just based on Mary Shelley's original Frankenstein, but it's based on a book called Frankenstein Unbound. Yeah, which... Which I'm assuming is, like, the story of that's presented in the movie. Maybe it answers all of our questions. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's I like how they brought in Byron and Shelley. And they deal with that, like the infamous night. Well, not they don't deal with the night, but I mean like, you know, that when they were living together right. in the summer home. And, you know... If it's anything ha- like the prologue of Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> they were having a fun night with games and, you know... Seemed like a jolly good time. And they were telling ghost stories, essentially. What is it? It's like, I relished each moment of terror. I rolled them on my tongue or whatever. It's... Yeah, they kind of take turns, like, uh, coming up with a scary story. And they're like, what about you, Mary? What kind of story would you like to to tell? And in real life, I mean, well, it was, there were four, because there was... Well, five. There was another woman. I forget who it was, but there was Lord Byron, and Percy Shelley, and Mary Godwin, and um, Doctor John Polidori, who was Lord Byron's physician. And his story that he came up with that night, that same night that she came up with Frankenstein, he came up with um, what would become his book, The Vampire, which Bram Stoker years later read, and out of that evolved Dracula. So, like, Dracula and Frankenstein kind of, like, came out of that evening. 
it truly was a dark and stormy yeah. night. And like the the idea of Frankenstein, like she uh, had been having these nightmares. Much and... like <laughs> John Hurt in this film. <laughs> and she uh, she had recently miscarried and um, like bearing children was on her mind. And like just the thought of like people like abandoning children like Frank Frankenstein abandons his creation right which the one thing I don't like about the universal universal movies is the uh, the whole brain idea that they bring into it they're very <laughs> they're they're almost obsessed about that brain yeah but just, I mean like later on yeah it gets crazy but just that initial like why do they have to be like oh no it has nothing to do with people accepting him or whether or not he was abandoned, it's just because he got a bad brain. He got a bad brain. It's part of that whole like early '30s eugenics craze that the Nazis were into. It's just like nope, just certain people are white fry bad. fucked up and grabbed the wrong jar. <laughs> but like it, Byron and, and Shelley are uh, a little sexually ambiguous. Not so much in this film. Um, but I mean, definitely in the Pride of Frankenstein, uh, when they're portrayed in the prologue, they're they're very like foppish and stuff, and it just they the word abomination is used so many times in Frankenstein Unbound. Yeah, and I mean like they they do play with this idea in like other Frankenstein movies of like oh well you know Frankenstein didn't have a child with a woman, he had a child like through other means. And like in the Bride of Frankenstein, it's like uh, Henry Frankenstein is like, I'm going to ignore my wife and I'm going to go down to this place with my old friend, Dr. Pretorius. Right. And um, we're going to make a baby. We're going to make a baby. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, you know, abominations famously like that's a term that's used in the Bible. It's a, to refer an to like, abomination against God. Yeah. For a man to lie with another man. It also I mean, the term is used in other ways, but like that's mm. the big one that's often quoted and stuff like that. And, um, like, do you, why do you think that was such a focus in this film? Like, and maybe it was just like this, they just kept using it because they couldn't think of another word to use. I think it but. was like, it, well, it's weird because it's like when they use it in the movie, when they say like, you know, why must he be destroyed? Because he is an abomination. Like that, it's like a conversation ender. You know, it's like. Oh, that's why he's an abomination against God. Like it was kind of like I don't know. Just, I don't know why they, you know, maybe chose that word, but it just and look, makes you feel like it's has more. It's like it's they're basically saying like it's not up to us. It's a, it's just the way of the universe. Like it's God's will that it be done. When Joe first meets Doctor Frankenstein. He it almost he seems quite taken with him. He follows him home or he yeah. tries to, and like I don't know, maybe there's a little something more there. And like he ends up, he does, and the only person that he does have sex with is uh, is Mary, Mary Shelley. Shelley, who yeah. like is the creator of the whole thing. Like he wanted to have sex with a creator. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for a way to read something into it. I don't know. But um, that was... The whole idea of him hooking up with Mary Shelley is, yeah. is very odd. 
it's just shoehorned in there. It's like, this movie has action, adventure, romance, <laughs> horror. You know, it's just like the only time we checking see, the bo- check ticking the check boxes. You know, well, the only time we get any nudity is when the monster rips open Elizabeth's. I thought he was just gonna rip open her shirt and yeah. like rape her, but instead he just rips apparently reaches into cage. her chest and just rips her whole torso open. Which is very similar to a scene that went absolutely nowhere. The Temple of Doom moment. Yeah, where it's like the monster sees all these fireworks happening above above the town. Yeah. And so he goes to check it out, runs into two little boys who are just like, ah, just giving these really just <laughs> poor screams. And then they run away. And this guy, like a watchman, comes over and starts blowing his whistle because he sees the monster. The monster picks him up, punches a hole in his chest, pulls out his beating heart and shows it to him. And then it's like, that's it. That... It, didn't go anywhere. Like what the fact that we, he went to the town, like didn't what didn't did matter. Gain from this? No, it didn't didn't gain anything. And was this? I might be remembering it wrong. Was this before the girl was executed for being a witch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that like, oh, okay, they're gonna see they're gonna him see and be him like, and oh, then, there is a monster. Yeah. Then she's and off she the can hook, be yeah. set free. Or that like she but, will, yeah that he would appear in the in the town square as she's about to be killed or I don't know something. Yeah, but. No, she died. It was just thrown in there. Oh my God, she the the girl who was accused of being a witch. She was Jesus. She died for his sins. for Frankenstein's sins, which they which makes liter- Frank, which they literally bring up, which makes Frankenstein mankind, which makes Mary Shelley God. Well, I figured out that puzzle. See you next time on Talk. No. So, what um, does it mean that John, I don't know. That John Hurt's character had sex with God? Um. That. Um. Okay. So then, Mary Shelley is. Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe he's Satan. Wait, what's what's the monster? What's the monster in this equation again? Uh, the monster in this is just uh, just a guy. Oh no, the mon. Uh... <laughs> Wait, because if Doctor Frankenstein is Jesus, no, 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 the the girl who was executed is Jesus. Oh, the girl who's like, and she because she is, uh, she dies for his sins. Right. Okay. So then Doctor Frankenstein is mankind. Right. So what does mankind create? Nothing but monsters. There Nothing we go. <laughs> and weapons, because they talk about like the atomic bomb. Yeah, that's his monster. And whatever laser weapon he's creating in the future. What was the Einstein quote that I don't know if it's a real quote um, that they paraphrased at the beginning? <clears throat> they he, say he'd um, rather be a watchmaker. Yeah, if he had known how much, uh, if he had known. Before doing all of his work on the, on the right. atomic bomb, like what the end result was going to be, then he would have just abandoned everything and just become a watchmaker. And that's the first thing that Frankenstein notices about Joe is his watch. Is his watch, yeah. That might just be a coincidence. Um, I don't, no, there I'm are gonna... no coincidences in the films of Roger Corman. <laughs> <laughs> None at all, I'm sure. Everything in every movie was done for a reason. Yes. 
I'm actually, uh, tomorrow, I'm shooting something for a program that might someday air on Look TV. Oh, really? uh, which I will be talking about another Roger Corman film, The Terror, which is a very confusing film. Yes, was that one that and he directed, or was that one partially? Partially, okay. he uh, he directed it. Um, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson directed yeah. it. Francis Ford Coppola directed it. Monty Hellman directed it, and two others. It was kind of like, all right, it's your turn. They had um, he had a couple extra days with Boris Karloff left over from the raven and they had all these sets that were still standing so they were like okay we're gonna just shoot two days with boris karloff somebody go write me a script we just need you don't need a whole movie just enough to fill two days we'll make we'll figure out what actually what connects these scenes later and you can tell while watching the terror that that it was definitely built piece by piece yeah there's so many like loose plot strands that go nowhere and just like random characters that have motivations are in question um how do you, what what films have you seen that roger corman has directed uh, i couldn't say off the top of my head which ones he's directed that i've seen well the films that i've seen that roger corman has directed um let's see Starting way back in the fifties, the earliest one was She Gods of Shark Reef, which was boring as hell. I don't even really remember what happened in it. Great name though, but She the, Gods of Shark Reef. I mean, the best title is probably the year before that, nineteen fifty-seven. He did a film called The Saga of the Viking Women and Their Voyage to the Waters of the Great Sea Serpent. That I feel like I just watched the whole movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I hear it's a lot of uh, shots of just actresses like walking around talking. (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) Nothing could live up to that title. Uh, But the earliest ones I watched and enjoyed are A Bucket of Blood, um, House of Usher, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, I've seen I've seen Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, Creature from the Haunted Sea. Pit and the Pendulum, The Premature Burial, Tales of Terror, Tower of London, The Raven, The Terror, The Haunted Palace, The Mask of the Red Death, The Tomb of Lygia, The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Gas, or It Became Necessary to Destroy the World in Order to Save It. And that's the, That was 1970. That's the most recent one I'd seen until Frankenstein Unbound, which as of this recording, is the most recent one he's directed. He should do one more. Why not? <laughs> he should, yeah. Just just to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? And like he's, I mean, he's definitely left his mark. He doesn't have to. It'd be cool if he did. I feel like he's not done, a lot of people... He's done enough. Not a lot of people really respect him as a director as much as they do as just, as, like, a finder of talent. Right. <clears throat> I think the first Oscar he got was for um, the film Cries and Whispers, which is weird to think, like, oh, wait, that Ingmar Bergman film? It's like, yeah, he produced it. So he has an Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. 
That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah. He was a producer on that. Um, and then, of course, he's got his Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, and he started so many people on the path to stardom. Uh, I just, if you go back and you watch, like, especially his Poe films mm-hmm. in the 60s, they're really good. And yeah. One thing in at the beginning of Frankenstein Unbound, there are there's sort of like an '80s aesthetic. And you know, when you're watching a film, especially something like science fiction or horror, you can definitely tell like '80s lighting and everything's kind of flashy and mm-hmm. stuff. And the whole like opening like title sequence with like these liquids and everything. That was I really liked the opening title sequence. It's a very like '80s version of this weird like pre-credit sequence in the pit and the pendulum from 1961 where it's just all these different color paints floating around on the screen before Mm. the film even really does anything you're just sitting there like what is happening and then you're just like shocked into the movie um but he he was a very good director and some of those films the pit and the pendulum is one of my favorite horror films and it's still i watched it I think the most recent time I watched it was, like, this past, maybe October. I'm not sure. Um, and it, it still, there were moments in it that really creeped me out. And, like, it was, you know, like, early 60s horror films were mostly aimed at, like, kitty matinees and stuff. Mm-hmm. But there were definitely, like, shock moments in there. And just, I don't know. And he always... Um, Whenever he would talk about the films, he would always talk about, like, how... He was, like, um, really into Freud, and he would always try to, like, put a lot of stuff in there. Like, um, there's a lot of scenes in that film of Vincent Price just wandering through the various, like, catacombs and, like, hallways of his castle. Mm -hmm. And Corman would say, like, well, the castle is a woman, and the whole movie takes place in this woman, and the dungeon is the vagina. (laughs) And like he just, and I don't know like how valid these things were, but like he clearly had put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, I mean, just like and, looking at um, Frankenstein Unbound, like I mentioned, how like the cloud time slip looked a lot like a vagina. Um, I mean, did you notice that at all? I thought it looked like bunnies. bunnies? No, yeah, no, I saw the vagina. Okay, yeah. Because, I mean, it, like, it parts open in that, you know, in that yeah. way, and it had, like, the cloud lips, and it's all, like, pink and red inside, and it's just, like... <laughs> and out pops, like, a Mongolian soldier on a horse or something like that. Like a vagina. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think Dr. Frankenstein's obsession with adding extra fingers onto his creation's hands was about. Because <laughs> the monster had six fingers on each hand. I missed that completely. And then when he, when his wife, Elizabeth, dies and he tries to bring her back to life, she now has six fingers on each hand. How did I miss that? They're weird looking fingers. And I definitely got good looks at at least the monster's hands, because he kept shoving them into people's chests. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like the thumbs were, like, big and swollen and gross, but you could tell that they were thumbs because it had the thumbnail on it. Then there was another 
big and swollen and gross finger on the other side. So you, it was like four fingers in between two swollen, gross fingers on all four of their hands. And it's weird because it's like Elizabeth just died and she wasn't really patched together from dead bodies. Well, neither was the monster in this. I mean, it could be implied, but they Well, never I mean, say his eyes were. For some reason, which is like of all the pieces of the body to stitch together, like why the eyeball? Because the eyeball is like There could be some those. form of like I mean, he does say he's a scientist and a doctor and everything, but there could be some black magic involved in this also. And, like, he's mixing chemicals like an alchemist. Like, maybe there's, like, a supernatural element to it. <clears throat> well, and, and when uh, she, when he is... grow the fingers. When something. he is bringing uh, Elizabeth back to life, we keep cutting to a shot of, like, his syringe injecting into her arm. Yeah. With this greenish liquid. Like, it happens, like, we see it, like, at least four times. Yeah. Um... Which is something that, in other Frankenstein films, don't really no. go with that kind of thing. It's usually, you know, you get the electricity, you get the brain, you stitch it together with body parts, and then, you know. It's the finger-growing serum. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> One thing that I really liked about the, the TNT version from the early 90s with Randy Quaid was... Um, he sort of like Dr. Frankenstein sort of like makes him like out of his own so, like he injects him with his own blood and like he mixes it in this big vat and the monster sort of just bursts out of this vat full of chemicals and blood and everything mm. and it's it's similar I don't know how inspired they were by this but it's similar in a way to um, the way that Dr. Frankenfurter creates Rocky Horror in the Rocky Horror Picture Show how he has that big vat mm-hmm. and he like uncovers it and there's just like this body in there and I think there might be homosexual undertones to that film as well really? maybe I never noticed that before yeah uh (laughs) (laughs) oh um I have an anecdote about the TNT version um first of all in in the film there is like a, a connection between Frankenstein and his creature um, and like every time one of them gets hurt, the other one feels it. Oh, so like at one point, somebody shoots at the creature, and Doctor Frankenstein is just like sitting on a couch with Elizabeth and just talking. And all of a sudden, he's just like, "Ah!" And like freaks out. Um, the night it premiered, and like I taped it when it was premiering, and I was having. It's similar to other stories I've told. I was, I was like, lying on the couch in my living room as, like, a 10-year-old kid or something, and every time, like, so one of them would get hurt, and the other one would feel it, and then my stomach would start freaking out. Coincidence. I mean, it's not like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I'm one of them. <laughs> but it was just, like, I was having these, like, Did horrible... Did Frankenstein make you, too? <laughs> I was having these horrible, like, stomach pains. That was one of the nights, like I mentioned in a previous episode, where I ended up going to the emergency room. Mm. And they didn't, they, there was nothing wrong with me, according to them. Um, it was a Memorial Day weekend, because I remember we went to my Aunt Linda's for memori- for her Memorial Day picnic. And I had to, like, lie in bed all day while everybody was playing outside, and I could hear them. <laughs> 
But anyway, um, damn you, Frankenstein! Yeah, I, I did watch it again years later, but for so long, like even just like seeing pictures from it in magazines and things, I would just start to get like a stomach ache. Huh. That is weird. Yeah, that's that's growing up. I assume for everyone, right? Stomach pains, having to go to the emergency room. That's just a thing, right? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so I think that'll about wrap it up for this episode. Um, not sure what movie we're going to watch next week. There's still time to get in your vote. So if you want us to watch something, let us know. And we just might. So thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time.